Uh, thank you guys for coming to the Diversity and Gaming panel. Uh, we have one more member of the panel staff, Jessica, will be joining us, hopefully, in progress. Um, one thing I want to get out there right at the start is that uh, this, is, this panel is called Diversity in Gaming, and you may look up here and be like, wow, that is a lot of nondescript white folks. <laughs> Even the same color. Yeah, exactly. People get us mistaken all the time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like, we recognize that, and this is not a discussion where we tell you how to, how to do diversity in gaming because clearly we all have it figured out. This is a discussion as much for us as for... You know, this is this is a back and forth to figure out like how can we as a community make our industry and our hobby better, more inclusive. Um, and you know, we're specifically the reason we're on this panel is because we feel like we can speak to some things like uh, gender and LGBT issues and whatnot. But that is only a small part of the overall diversity thing, and we don't we do not presume to speak from the experience of gamers of color or other various groups. Um, yeah, that's different from the so-called mainstream. Um, also, we're here because you know we care what you have to say, and we yes. want your input for you know to work on our corner of this. <coughs> yeah, this is this is a discussion. But one thing that we we tell folks a lot, especially when when folks here have come to us and it's like, oh, we really like that you did this. Oh, we really hate that you did this. Um, something that we feel pretty strongly about is that this this is a, a discussion, a dialogue, a, uh, a topic that is not about enlightenment. Um, it's not like, okay, and we, we got to this, and we, we have done it, and we covered all of our bases, and, and now we have been inclusive, and now we have been inclusive. Like I said, this is not about like reaching the ideal in inclusivi inclusivity nirvana. This is this is just something that we feel strongly about, and we want to keep working on. We think that we've had a lot of successes. We know that we've screwed it up plenty of times, um, and we hear about that. And that's the sort of thing where I think one of the biggest challenges, and something we'll probably hit on a little later, is when people bring us criticism. A lot of, especially creative, a lot of artists. Um, a clear immediate reaction is like, no, but I tried! Uh, why are you telling me I didn't do a good job? Um, it's getting over that initial reaction. It's like, we tried, and we apparently messed up, so let's hear what's, what we can do better next time. And that's really a big thing that we, we want to talk about here. Additionally, I know a number of you are authors, writers, have your own creative ventures and whatnot, and feel strongly about this topic. And if we can share any of our experiences, our successes, but really, honestly, our failures, um, and what we've done to learn from our examples, we'd love to share those with, with you all. So um, we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Yeah. So let's introduce ourselves. <laughs> you all know us, right? <laughs> okay, um, I'm James L. Sutter. I'm the managing editor of Paizo Publishing. So I'm Judy Bauer. I'm one of the associate editors for Paizo. And I'm Wesley Schneider. I'm editor-in-chief at Paizo. Um, and the invisible person who may or may not be joining us is Jessica Price, who is our project manager. Who's almost as now loud as she as loud now as she will be when she gets here. So, unless there's anything that you guys want to touch on right up front, I'd kind of like to open this up to questions. I think it should all be Q&A. This is about us having a conversation. So, <clears throat> okay. So, do you have any questions? Yes. 
How are you pushing diversity in your products? Okay, so I think probably one of the best places to start um, is with our iconic characters. If, I, if you are all not already familiar with the Pathfinder role-playing game, one of the things that we did when we, when we started out was we wanted to introduce a number of characters that are from our world that could really stand in for, um, for you guys, for the players, for the people who are in the game but still have that represented like in our art and whatnot. So we created a, a pretty much an adventuring party that's grown to be somewhat too large to be just an adventure party. <laughs> <laughs> a, very, a whole mercenary company. Several rival groups. So um, several characters who are our stand-in for largely the players, and we use them in our art. And you guys have probably seen the, if you go to the side of our ballroom, you'll see dozens of huge posters of all of them, and you'll see them on all of our covers and in our art. So, like, Valoros the Fighter, and Sione the Sorcerer, and uh, Sila the Paladin, and so on and so forth. Every class has an iconic character who is kind of like the, the poster child for that class, but also for the players. Um, so when we were going through that, something that we were making we were making very conscious decisions about what sorts of characters to have in these. But beyond that, it's like okay, we need a fighter, um, and we were so we need a, a male. Or we'll have a male fighter, and we'll have a female sorceress. And those were our first two. And beyond that, it's like well, we really want to. We don't want to. This can't be a game for just white guys and white girls. It's like this. We need to have a good representation. Through all of this, of races uh, and uh, of gender. So immediately the next one that we came up with was Kira, our cleric, who's of a more Middle Eastern descent. Um, in just clothing style. In clothing yeah. style, that's very much indicative of those cultures. Um, and it continues on down the road. I mean, you guys said, I'm not going to go through the entire checklist of like, look, we've got this one and this one and this race and this gender and so on. But is actually a very important one because we thought it was very important. Like, we, you know, and we do, you know, some people say, oh, it doesn't feel very artificial to sit down there and spreadsheet out, like, uh, you know, what, what character classes we need to fill, you know, how many male, how many female, like, kind of those things. But it's actually really important because it makes sure that you're not, I mean, some of this, you know, Judy talked to me, just like, keeping track of how many male versus female characters you have or whatever, um, keeps your unconscious biases from, you know, hitting you in the face later down the road. You can see them early and you can work to fix them. And so one of the things that we were sort of on a tangent, one of the things we were really excited about when we came out with uh, the Iconics was to make our Iconic Paladin, you know, the, the goodest of the good guys, to be this badass black woman. And, like, that was really... Sila um, is she probably great. yeah. I would say Sila is far and away one of our most like, most popular iconic characters. Yeah, um, she's on the cover of like a dozen of our products and whatnot, and she looks awesome. And we've had more reaction to her just being like, oh, <clears throat> like, I I've not seen a, a character like this in like my my entire role playing career. She's awesome. Where can I learn more about her? Um, that's also been an interesting thing. We were not... We had vague ideas of, like, okay, then these characters are popular, maybe someday someone will ask a question about them and want to know more. 
So that happened real fast. So immediately, we, almost immediately, we started doing backgrounds for all of these characters. Um, and what expanded out from that was that these characters became so popular that everybody wanted to know everyone, everything about them. Um, we started doing stories about these meet the iconic background stories for the various iconics. And what we found, which was really surprising, was a lot of folks started asking, like, so what, what's their sexuality? Like, what kind of, what kind of guys or girls or whatever does what they into? Yeah, yeah what, so what, does, what sells you all into? It's like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> We were fascinated the first time we saw the, uh, the fan service you know, slash art of some of our icons. There's so much about how you're porn. I think we all independently, like over the course of a few weeks, you know, so we would be like, did you, did you see it? Somebody is making dirty pictures of your characters. <laughs> <laughs> what was as folks were wanting to know more about all these characters, they got really interested in their sexuality. And that was, that's not something that you can generally just depict in a, a piece of art. It like, doesn't come up in a dungeon a lot. Yeah, exactly. It's an odium. Do I need it? Yeah, so that's something that we've increasingly put a, a lot of thought and, and effort into. Um, something that was kind of a, a relatively big thing for us was we were working on the Pathfinder comic book last year with Jim Zubkovich, who's down there signing things, and it's awesome, you should all check it out, etc. Um, but at one point, it's always been kind of in our head canon that Mauricio and Kira are kind of a thing. And like, Mauricio, she's an elf, so whatever. Um, and Kira, but Kira is, is a much more, um, kind of a much more reserved lesbian. Um, and when we have the two of them being in the same adventuring party, we're going back and forth with Jim, the writer, and at one point it was finally like, oh yeah, by the way, they're, they're, they, you know, they could have a thing. And, well, did we pitch that to him? Well, he, he, we told him all their backgrounds, but he was one who was like, well, can we have them get together? And it was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 there's more than the party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then that happened, that came out. Um, and that was the first time we, I guess, publicly revealed... Was it for either of them? We may have revealed... It was for either of them. Because we don't really believe in going on the message boards and being like, oh, and let us tell you all about, like, you know, Valorosa's kinks. Yeah. <laughs> but so when they did get That's another comics, people were very, you know, surprised and excited. Because we had said for years, and admittedly it was pretty fun, because we had mentioned sometime early on that, like, we get people were like, well, do you have gay iconics? And we were like, well, yeah, we have gay iconics and bi iconics. And they were like... Well, who is it? And before we could even answer, people started being like, I hope it's this one. I hope it's this one. <laughs> and we were, we were like, so oh, this is really fun. Tell us. Um, and, that, and that was really fun. So then, like, you know, a year or two later to finally reveal it publicly, um, 
you know, it was a thing that had been there since the beginning, but it hadn't really come out. It was really fun to see the, the fan reaction. Now, here's also something that, that we feel pretty strongly about. That came out in the fourth volume, the third volume of the Pathfinder comic. That comic was not called, like, Girls Kissing! Pathfinder Comics, Girls Kissing! That was not the title. I mean, this happened on, like, page 24, and they just, like... They just kind of meet up. It's like, yeah, oh, okay. I mean, it feels very natural. It's not something we were particularly interested in being like, this is the gay one. It's a natural thing for our world. Our, but we've, we've tried to make the Pathfinder campaign setting feel like a place where the, the prejudices and some of the nastiness that happens in the real world just doesn't need to exist. I mean, we've really been doing this since since issue one. I mean, if you guys check out Pathfinder number one, the first thing that we printed that says Pathfinder on it, there's a description of the town of Sandpoint in there. And there's a gay couple in there. And one guy owns the theater, because, duh. Uh, and uh, the other guy... The, and then the other guy is is one of the paladins in town, um, and it's just I think you read about the the theater owner at first, and you get that doesn't come up, but then four pages later is like paladin so and so is also in a is in a relationship with Cyril who runs the, the theater up there. That's it. It's like a sentence about them there, and it's played very nonchalantly, but it's played very nonchalantly on purpose, because it's not a big deal, it's not something anyone in town cares about, and it's just, that's just the way of things. And that's not just because we are on, um, you know, people on the message boards will sometimes, or you know, Twitter, people will be like, you know, you're the, the gay agenda, you know, you're... Crusade, and you know, I think our answer has generally been like, "Oh my yes." <laughs> Did you do that on purpose? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I mean, even if you leave all of the politics aside, which we care very much about, a lot of it is just about what makes sense in the world. So, like, let let me get this straight. When people are like, "Oh, that's," people would have an issue with that. It's like, so my neighbor is, you know, neighbor A is married to an elf that lives for a thousand years, and neighbor B is married to maybe someone that isn't even human, and or humanoid, and then neighbor C is married to another, you know, human of the same gender. Really? That's your big deal? Like, <laughs> like, you, you married a boy, but like, the neighbor with the orc is just fine? Like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense. Born blooded, so you know you're still probably... Yeah, exactly. It's not even lizard folk. How does that even work? I don't think it's... It just doesn't make sense, but we do... Lizard folk. How does it work? I mean, how you yeah. Um, but also, I. No, I totally lost it. I So, um, that's kind of tolerated. I remember it. That's Lizard Folk. Lizard Folk again. Oh, that, that's the thing. People often say, um, but isn't it important to have, uh, like, prejudice and conflict and whatnot within the fantasy world so that it can be overcome, isn't that more powerful than just uh, a magical utopia where everything is, uh, where there is no prejudice? Um, and we, we definitely agree with that. And in fact, there are certainly plenty of places in Galarian 
where you can find whatever prejudice you need to find for the uh, you know for the advancement of your storyline, so that your heroes can triumph over it, or so they can be part of your character's formative background. The difference is that we don't feel like it's important that the prejudice must always be there. If you don't want it in your game, it doesn't need to be in your game. Like there's no, it doesn't have to be there, and that's what we feel is the big switch. Unfortunately, sometimes from from the real world, the difference of being able to just play whatever sort of game you want. Because dude, sometimes when it you know, if that is your everyday life, turns out not so much fun um, to always have that like be the center of everything in the game. So. Um, and and since the, the initial question was like oh, what yeah, I have done, probably one of the most public things that has just happened in the last couple of weeks here is we've been doing the, the iconic backstories stories for all of the new iconics that we've been presenting from our advanced class guide. So I see a lot of you with like today's pin out there of Zadim and whatnot, the uh, the Slayer. Um, so he's one of the new guys, but we just not last week, but the week before that, got to our iconic shaman. And um, a longtime friend and freelancer of ours, Crystal Frazier, um, wrote the backstory for her, and through a number of conversations with us and others, uh, chose to make her transgender. And the entire story explains Chardra's uh, backstory and her life and the experience that led her toward toward making that change and um, the entire kind of tradition in uh, dwarven society that's where that is a part, that can be a part of like their shamanistic rituals and whatnot, and how she's very much accepted by her family and friends and community, but still ends up having to leave that and go on and being an adventurer. The big thrust of the backstory, though, is about her being an awesome shaman and adventurer. It is not, again, this is not one where it's like, this is the transgender character. That is something that she is, but that is not the defining thing of her life. This is not the thing that makes her the awesome adventurer. This is a, this is a thing that she is and is part of her life. Um, and colors her as a character, but what makes her awesome and what makes her like an amazing adventurer, a hero, and whatnot is all the cool adventures she goes out and has. She's a spellcaster with a talking lizard. Like that yeah. seems so having cool. a talking right. lizard is what makes her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the fan reaction to that has been fantastic. I mean, honestly, there are a number of us who are kind of girding ourselves to be like, okay, well, who we watch the message boards? Because if things get nasty, then it's good to you. Exactly. But I don't think I've liked that many post-response posts in a thread in so long. Yeah. Oh, you're all awesome. Oh, man. a really good community. Um, on a, on a variety of issues, but it's really, um, you know, I sort of forget sometimes what other message boards on the internet would be like, because our community is very good at not just self-policing, but supporting. Um, and that's done almost, I mean, we're, we're there, we, we try and help out, but that's really the function of the community members. Somebody had even asked, um, actually, asked a very different question from, from this question. Um, which was just like, well, well, what have you guys done? And I always find myself being like, well, there's those two characters in the first Pathfinder, and then we had 
that couple over there, and then there, and then there. So finally, I just like sat down and like, well, pretty much as a challenge to me and a lot of the other editors and developers were like, can we come up with a list of just like 50 GL? The top, the top 50. Well, not even the top, just like 50. Um, and yeah, we did that in like a half an hour. It's like, oh, well, um, that's a couple, and they're a couple, and they're a couple, and they're, they're a couple. So it's just like, I ended up with probably just in what we could come up with in an hour, an hour or so, like more than 60, like GLTPB. LGBTQ characters. All of the things. And just put put the list together, and I put it up on my Tumblr page, and it just turns out, it's like, yeah, it turns out we've got 50 characters right now, and I could keep going on from there. Um, And it's, again, not something we've made a huge deal about, but if you're going through Pathfinder products, and if you're looking for characters who are like you, or your friends, or your family, and want to see that sort of inclusion, yeah, we've got it all over the place. And again, this is, you know, we're primarily speaking about, like, you know, the, the diversity of, you know, of sexuality and whatnot, because that's a thing that we are, what, that we three are particularly interested in. Um, but also, I mean, even just something as, you know, supposedly simple as, like, gender representation in our game. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> well, not you, just... You, you want yeah. to tell them about how you train your developers? <laughs> 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 so, so when I started... I, I so I was told that oh like oh you know we want to have balanced representation like we want to have like totally look respectful and varied representation of women and I was like okay that sounds great I'm super excited about this and I'm reading through some adventures and it's not that many women actually I just but let me let me gut check and go through and just make a list make a list of all the NPCs so that was about. One in five. Okay. Just, just check the next one because some of these things are, you know, they're coming off the press very fast. And, okay, about you know, two in five. One, one going. And I kept track again a bunch of times, and then found this. So, so guys. By the way, you know, I think when you're you're seeing maybe there's some very important female characters. And that feels like there's a lot of women, but look, here's the list. Here's you know, here's the numbers. I got the math. <laughs> Who do you want to change? Also, I flagged a bunch of people who seem possible, like they'd be easy to change. <laughs> and I got a little bit of pushback at first because you know these are things we're trying to often like get to the printer within a week, and it's risky to be changing pronouns, and sometimes there's art and there's stuff, and um, but like. West, like especially since I had the data, like West was very supportive, and the developers I think were very quick to figure out that oh oh right this, this is just how it's supposed to work, and actually wouldn't this be a lot easier if we took care of it ahead of time? And they like went back and started talking a lot more to the authors, so as we started percolating it back through the chain, like, and the authors very quickly were like oh. Oh right, that's a thing. We're supposed to be doing that, and we can do it pretty easily. Uh. And to be fair, I was maybe even the first person you did that to, and I certainly had the, the standard reaction. <laughs> but it's already written. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I think there was one where, like, you, the first one, I think you caught it as it was like basically going out the door. And it was like, 
we, we don't have time, let's just ship it. And I, like, in later years, deeply, I mean, that was a long time ago, and I deeply regretted that, um, because there was just not good representation in that book. And I still, like, I still feel, like, a little disappointed in, well, not a little, <laughs> I'm still disappointed that I, I made that decision, and it's certainly not one I repeated, um, which actually is a, is, I think, a big theme of this thing, is, like, doing things, learning why that thing was maybe not so great, and then getting better. It's, like, it's <laughs> awesome, though, because, like, there was a, a period there where we were still trying to get this right, where Judy would walk into the developer pit, which is right next door to where the editors are, with a manuscript that has, ta- like, male tally, 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 female tally. Um, and it's like, you have three women in this, one of them's dead, and one of this is a prostitute. This needs to change. And the guys are typically like, um, oh, you're totally right. Yeah. It's in the record was one that came in with uh, three women who were versus like fifty who were all dead and all dead. actually they were all dead prostitutes. And I think I think it should be recognized that you know. People, people don't change overnight. Um, I think there's sometimes, uh, it's, it's very easy to get into an us and them mindset when you're dealing with issues like this. But I, I feel like it's very important to recognize that the people who, you know, initially went, are now, like, proactively doing this and are proud of the fact that they're doing it and are advocating for that with their own, like, it was not. It was not a ship that turned immediately um, from because I mean, let's let's face it. Our hobby comes out of a tradition that is not exactly a diverse or accepting. Like there's there was definitely a niche that people perceived gaming as having, and it, it played exclusively that for a long time. And changing that, whether at one company or at an industry level, is a long process. But it but it can work. Right, um, and I think that's I, I really appreciate. Um, I, I actually deeply appreciate and thankful for all of my friends who are wiser than me when it comes to issues like this, who are very patient and tolerant and willing to see that, like, okay, yeah, I am. I, mean, I don't know if we're we'll on a podcast, but I am fucking it up. <laughs> and then who are willing to tell me where I'm doing that, and then like. Give me, give me the good faith of the, the chance to change. Um, because that's something that's really important. And I don't want to give you guys the perception that our developers or any creatives out there that were writing for us or anyone um, are, you know, like total misog- misogynists from this. It's just that they weren't considering it. As they're going through and they're doing their writing, it's like, all right, well, I've got a war, uh, an orc warlord, so that's this like big brawny dude with us, and, the, and then I've got like this other like stock character. So I've got the knight in shining armor. So okay, we've got this guy in shining armor over here, and then I've got the king. So I've got the king over there. It's just so many of those kind of stock characters that are just kind of in the back of your head as kind of that you've seen a million times. Yeah, so it's just not even thinking about it. It's like, and that's a male character, and that's a male character, and that's a male character. It's just not thinking about it at all. But then when you go back and look, it's like, oh. But honestly, when you do go back and look, you start making changes and making decisions that actually make these characters far more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Queen Eliosa would be way more interesting than King Eliosa. Yeah. Like, and from Crystal Crimson Throne, um, Finch Path, we didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I think not thinking about it is, is more often than not, at least um, in the circles that I'm in, it seems to be the primary source of a lot of the problems. It's not... It's it's usually not well mainly because I hang out with really awesome people, but like <laughs> it's not an intentional thing. Um, even though people may get defensive about it, they're defensive oftentimes because of guilt. Like I mean, it's certainly like I mean, getting called on stuff is is really awkward and uncomfortable. Like that doesn't mean that you shouldn't call them on it. It doesn't mean that they don't have to own up. But like that's still that's going to cause that reaction sometimes. And so there's there's one question that actually I wanted to throw out there. Um, so we work with a lot of authors and artists. A lot of folks in this room are authors and artists, um, and they're folks who um, are trying to write together, whatever whoever that might be, whatever that be. Um, what can the artists in the crowd, the authors in the crowd do if, like, so take me, for example, white guy, I want to write um, a character who comes from, like, a more South American sort of descent and whatnot, and I know very little bit about that, that's not my experience, um, I want, to, I want to do that, and I want to do it right without being, you know, grossly insulting how do you, how could you possibly ever do that? Yeah, this is this is this is not a question for us. This is not a question at all. Actually, actually, this is something that we've had to deal with a few times. So, if an author brings you something like that, I mean, I also I think this would actually be brief tangent. The Klingon story, I think, is appropriate here. Um, like in Pathfinder number one, we ordered art of an, of an Asian guy. It was like. Oh, the first Pathfinder was supposed to have a picture of Long Miku Kaijutsu, um, uh, Amiko's father, in it, who's yeah. a pretty major character. Yeah, and, and so, so we order, we order a name, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, gets sent off to this artist, and it comes back, and he's a Klingon. Like with brow ridges and everything, and we're looking. You at guys this. do not even understand. I mean, not even human. Like, this artist. Well, where is this artist from? I mean, he's from like Italy or something. Has he never seen? <laughs> we have Google. Like, this is not <laughs> um, and that sort of thing happens more often than. You, you want to admit, and fortunately, it's usually not. And so we killed that art, obviously. Yeah, we went through like three revisions on this piece, and each time, worse. Yeah, like, worse. So finally, we killed it at the last minute before it went to press, um, and we're just like that art's blue. But actually, it had uh, it had kind of a stinger because, um, like the, the next year later, um, so we, we kill the art. Never appears in print. We're like, ah, oh, that piece behind us. Um, and then one day I'm on the message boards, I see it pop up as somebody's avatar. They're like, what is it? It's like, oh, it's finished! <laughs> it had been left, even though it had been killed from the product, it had been left on the server. So when the web team decided to go find pictures to make uh, they were looking for every image they could find, and that one was still in there. So, so I think they eventually got that deleted, but for a while there was like, uh, no, it's still on there. <laughs> 
sound like you want to wade through like fourteen thousand pathfinders. Yeah. yeah, we and we actually you know we really should have had an art director on this panel as well because I think that they often have an even harder time than the writers uh, or than the editors because a lot of artists are really hard coded. You know, fantasy artists especially are really hard coded into the the white chainmail bikini sort of style of the you know seventies and whatnot. Um, and it can be really hard to ask for something different. For instance, like you know, you you like the, the class. We had, a, we had an art order for for an Earth Mother character, where I think we said the class, but we didn't really give any other details. In well, that's a guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mother was in the name. <laughs> but, and so yeah, it just turns out if you're not super specific, no matter what you ask for or what you say. You will, you will get a white guy. And okay. even if you like, are super specific, and, and sometimes, sometimes I'll, admittedly, there are language barriers because we use a lot of international artists. So Never sometimes, all of skin. yeah, all of skin, you yeah. get. Oh my god! Pain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but you know, it's it, there's a lot of stuff that's just hard coded in. For instance, like trying to order um, like a. I, there was one a while back. It was a, we were ordering a, a you know a larger female character, um, and she came in and was of course supermodel skinny and whatnot. We went no no no, like she's she's a larger woman. She's a woman's size. And the artist was like, oh okay, Boops increase. <laughs> no no no. It's like like give this woman fifty pounds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, and so you may wonder sometimes, like, and like this does not always, unfortunately, due to the deadlines we work under, sometimes you don't have time to go. If you ex are expecting the art in, you know, two weeks before this book ships and it comes in wrong, maybe you get one chance of revision, and then and then it's gone. So the, sometimes, like, we've definitely published art that we're not, you know, that's in that chainmail bikini sort of uh, style that we're not proud of. But it was one of those things where it was like, well, is that or have a blank page there? And sometimes, like in a bestiary, that blank page really sticks out when there's art on every other page. So we kill stuff when we can, or change it when we can. But sometimes you got you got to go to print, and that's uh, an unfortunate reality. But we we skipped the original question, or I rather I shunted it off on the other <laughs> side. Um, I mean, in terms of writing writing the other, like I'm very much still wrestling that with that, but I. Am encouraging my authors to do it. I mean, well, step one: if you can have authors that actually know what they're talking about, that works too. Um, but I mean, I really think I'm, I'm of the opinion, and some people um, some people are, are of a different opinion, and that's fine. Like some people think, really, you should write what you know. Um, but as much as I would hate for you know a, a white male writer to write a minority and get, and get it wrong, I think that. Using fear of getting it wrong as an excuse to never try is actually worse um, in the long term. And I could I could be wrong. There are really good arguments on the other side, but I'm sort of um, I'm sort of generally of the try and fail versus you know trying to do a good thing and fail versus 
stay with what's safe. Or even just try and then do better next time. Yeah, exactly. Because you know what? The person who tells you that you got it wrong might also be able to tell you how to get it right. And so one of the traits of, well, actually, first, I just want to point out a, a book and a workshop series um, that you can learn more about online um, called Writing the Other. Um, it's a fantastic book that Logan was that showed me, and I oh, nice. just looked into that. Um, and it is all about um, you have your experience, how to put your experience aside, or take certain things from your experience experiences, and do your damnedest to, to try and write from, from different perspectives and whatnot. And that's called Writing the Other. Um, great book, and it is perfectly aimed at this content. Um, one of the other things that you can do, and I'm going to put the caveat on this, that I'm of two minds about this. There, there's definitely two, there many perspectives on this, but the, the two that I'm going to touch on here. Um, is that if you, for example, say you decide, say I decide that I want to have a lesbian character in one of my books. Um, I know nothing about growing up as a woman, uh, or being a lesbian, or, or whatever have you. Um, so how, how do I make that feel authentic? Um, one option that I have is writing it, well first, first option I have is actually talking to people um, who have that experience. I know the world is small and there's not an internet or anything. Um, but it turns out that there are people out there who are having these discussions or sometimes are, are available and willing to, to have these discussions. What I do not suggest you go do is find your one lesbian friend, and in my case, um, what I would not do and not suggest to anyone else do is go find like my one lesbian friend and be like, oh, you're a lesbian, so obviously you can help me write my book. Like, that's not really something she signed up for when she became a card-carrying lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out we're not a monolith. So we have people with different experiences. Yeah, and that's, that's the other one thing. You can't go to one person and be like, obviously, your experience is representational of every experience. Um, what you're getting, what I would be getting from that one person is that one person's experience. Um, and that, that can't be true. Like Judy said, that, that is not a monolith. It's like that's not the error experience. So everybody's going to have a wide spectrum of different experiences. If you're really going down that that route, um, going online and have, there are there are forums or discussions like this sort of about like pretty much any topic you can think of. Going online, asking questions about this, getting feedback from people who feel. Who, who consider themselves experts on the topic or are willing to talk about it, who have been through these experiences, um, that's a great place to start. Um, and maybe just uh, uh, do, do consider doing a little lurking first. first. Just, you know, see if you can pick up some basics before you start asking questions that, are, you know, maybe if you had done 30 seconds of reading, you wouldn't have been quite so awkward. <laughs> don't, don't just storm in and demand, like, I'm a white guy here, I don't have time to read, but please answer my question specifically because I want to get back to writing my novel. Yeah. Like, By the way, I'm an ally. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Because it turns out not, not anybody else's job. Yeah. Yeah. We should probably take uh, either, actually, we should get some responses to that question. Absolutely. And, and like, also, what do you guys think? 
Yeah. You have it. Yeah. Well, I, I just I've been to a lot of these panels and had a lot of these conversations with different groups, and, and that question comes up a lot, and it's always sort of to me it's kind of surprising to hear because I'm like, you know, George R. R. Martin's not a gourmet medieval chef, but he doesn't have trouble, you know, finding out how to describe a medieval meal in exceptional amounts of detail, and and and. It's the same as, you know, if I'm writing a story about vampires, I don't know what it's like to be a vampire. Now, true, I'm not risking offending the vampire community. By the <laughs> well, maybe. I'm not really worried about this. I mean, I'm worried about this. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, even if all you have, you know, if you, if you live out in the middle of Montana and you have your one lesbian friend and no internet, just talk to at least one person so that, you know, to, to get the basics, you know, just, just to make sure, you know, check with, with at least one other person to look at what you've written and say, oh, no, we don't do that. That's, that's not yeah. <laughs> men invented scissoring. You're, you're making that up. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, just anything that, that's obvious that's really going to take somebody out of the story. Um, I have something else. Thanks. <laughs> That's really interesting because I mean, one thing that um, I, I think that that touches on is that, like, in many cases, you can have a. I think George R. George R. R. Martin, since you brought him up, um, often gets asked how he writes such convincing women. He's like, well, I write them like people. Um, it's like, don't make it a big damn deal if it doesn't need to be a big damn deal. I mean, we definitely have characters in novels and whatnot where you get paid to page like 400 and it's like, oh, did he just hit on a dude? Oh, okay, that's cool. It's the classic Dumbledore was getting the whole time thing. Exactly. Like, it just didn't come up. I know, right? But like, <laughs> yeah. I know, but like, as a general idea, like, if a thing just doesn't come up, like if if your character is female or gay or whatever or you know a- anything, if their main thrust is that they're obsessed with the Ninja Turtles, you should probably write about the Ninja Turtles and how they're obsessed with that, rather than the fact that like no, but but he is gay and obsessed with that. <laughs> 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 the other uh, the other side of that is putting your work in front of somebody who does come from that culture, who does have those experiences. They could go through it. They could be like, "This is fantastic! Can you publish it?" And it goes out in the world, and it gets lambasted. And then your reaction is like, "No, no, she said it was okay." Turns out that don't do that. Don't do that. Um, because that's, that is pretty much the definition of tokenism. I mean, going to one person and be like, you are the monolith, you are the representative of your entire culture. Thumbs up from you? Okay. Uh, also, you you can't just flash the badge. Um, I mean, sometimes you can, but I really hate that you can't. Um, the idea that if somebody's like, dude, you totally screwed this up, and you're like, no, 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 I'm not straight. Oh, well, then I'm after you. You know, like, that's the <laughs> That's not just because you are a member of some group that is considered a minority does not make you uh, not a jerk. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not a jerk. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We're the spokesman for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, or, or for other communities, certainly. Like, um, um, so, I mean, what will happen is, and, and this is something that we we always that always comes up for us is which we have a lot of steps in place to try and do right by this. It's very important for us to, to be inclusive in as many ways as, as we can. Um, and we put a lot of time and effort and thought into it. I mean, heck, we're up here talking about it with all of you fine people. Um, and then we will put out something, and like, as soon as it hits five minutes in, somebody will be like, this didn't work for me. How could you have done this? You did this, 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 and this, and this. Um, why did you treat it like this? And our initial, again, because artists, our initial reaction is always like, but we tried hard. Uh, but it's like, no, 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 we're good people. We, we thought about it, and we still messed it up. Um, and that's largely what it comes down to. It's like getting over that initial knee-jerk uh, reaction of like, but we tried, and we still locked it up. But then that time, taking that criticism and accepting it, not being defensive, not being confrontational, just kind of stepping back and being like, oh, you're right, I see your point on this, that this is something we can do better on next time. And then next time, having, yeah, doing better. Yeah. Best advice I've ever been given about any of this is just listen. Just show, and I think it's something that's very hard for us to do. It's certainly hard for me to do. I like I love hearing myself talk, as you may have noticed. Um, but like I think that it's very easy to when you get into a discussion with somebody to be just like thinking of the next thing that you're gonna say, or you know, every every criticism you have a defense for. So no, just take it in. Listen to it, evaluate it, um, get past your, you know, get past your initial like, and then actually think about what was said and do not write anything for yeah. an hour after. Yeah, exactly. Because you may find that actually it's spot on. Like, I mean, and it'll be things often that you never expected. Like, I got criticized from a, a close friend on my first novel who said, she said. Um, you know, I, I had a problem with that because uh, there weren't many, there, there weren't a lot of women in your book. It was like the main, the main character. She was like, "There's a problem with gender in your book." I was like, "But the, one of the main characters is female, like clearly." And she was like, "Yeah, but the rest of the world, the background. There were no women in the background. Every time you walked past, if somebody walked on stage and then walked across it, they were men." And it's something that you know. I naively had never considered it, and she was exactly right. And so then, like, when I sat down to write my next one, it was very much like, okay, let's let's do exactly what we need to do and chart out, like, what are all these supplemental characters? Let's try for gender balance there. Let's try for, you know, things like that. Um, and I mean, it sucks getting called when you're wrong, but that doesn't make you not wrong. <laughs> um, I think we've got, like, a moment, so... Uh, there, I wanted to mention specifically as you talk about that idea of not being offensive. It's very easy, especially if you are in what you want, whatever group you want to call the majority group or the dominant group or whatever. It's it's very hard to get past the idea that um, I'm a good person. Since I'm a good person, I'm incapable of having any kind of homophobic or racist or misogynistic attitudes. Um, you really have to get beyond the idea that the only way um, I can have racist attitudes is if I also own a white hood, you know, and that 
that we are all products of the environments we grew up in, the families we grew up in, when we have these deficits in terms of our knowledge of other other perspectives. And so, if we can set aside that idea that if I if I write something that sound ends up uh, coming off sexist, it's not because I'm a bad person. It's because I'm a product of, of, of where I came from, and if I want to be uh, sensitive to diversity issues, I need to be open to that feedback and not personalize it. Yeah. Okay. And I, think, I, I feel like you know we're, we're really ready to excuse ourselves from like, oh, I don't know anything about cars, whatever. Like I've, I'm not going to worry about making a mistake about it. You know, if somebody tells me I said something wrong about cars, then I'll be like, okay, I learned a thing. And if you can just generalize that, you know, to the rest of your experience, because there's I mean, there's always going to be some part of other people's experience that's just going to be different. That you know, you just have to be willing to not always be an expert in other people's lives. Then. Turns out that's why we read books and role play games. That different is. That difference. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting because it's it's the sort of angle where it's like it's not anything malicious. It's not because anybody is doing something that you you can be like the way you're thinking is wrong. It's just this is the way a person thinks. This is the experience they came up with. It's like being told you got something wrong, but you never had any way of knowing that it was wrong. It was just like it's, I was gonna say. With the exception that, like, that's not, yeah, I mean, the, don't, don't internalize it. At the same time, that doesn't excuse you from the onus to improve and do due diligence. Like, I don't, I don't want people to walk out of here being like, oh, well, Wes said I don't have to take it personally, so that means I never have to uh, exonerate it. <laughs> <laughs> experience is not all-inclusive, that even though you have lived your entire life knowing everything that you know, there's still so much more out there, and being conscious of those other experiences, and, and know, being even aware, like, there is, there are gaps in my experience, there's totally different ways that I could look at this, that I could write this, that I could treat this, that I could be impacted by the world around me. Being aware of those and largely being open to not just learning about them, but kind of one of the hardest tricks is just kind of personally accepting, this is going to sound really kind of naive, but personally accepting that you don't know everything. I mean, you're, you have lived your entire life knowing everything you know, and that's not the case for everyone. You know what you know. You do not know what everybody knows. And everyone has subconscious biases. They are they are part of how we how we evolve, um, you know, as people. Um, so they're going to be there, and you may feel really like you may not have a problem with them. Some of them you may feel really gross when you realize them about it yourself. Um, but like they're they're part of you are, and everybody has them. It's like you said, it's not the, I feel like overt racism and overt, se- well, overt sexism is still pretty prevalent, but like, there are a lot of, there are a lot of things that depending on where you live, um, <coughs> the overt versions have been either totally expunged, or, well not expunged, but marginalized, um, but the subconscious ones are still alive and well. And because people don't think of themselves as racist or sexist most of the time, that's why it's so prevalent, because nobody wants to be, nobody wants to see that in themselves. And, you know, even just hearing this, um, 
we're also talking about three people that live in like one of the gay friendliest cities, one of the most liberal cities yeah. in the country. Yeah. So a, a lot of what we're talking about is like, yeah, so just do it, just do it. No, no problem. Yeah. It'll be easy, right? Um, this can be really hard, depending on where you live, and especially if you're like the person that reads all of your stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, and like Seattle is an extremely gay, you know, gay-friendly city, so it's very easy to learn how to be sort of inclusive uh, on issues like that. It's also a really white city, and yeah. a really segregated city. I mean, they're definitely like. Yeah, you know, I didn't even realize that there are there are districts in Seattle where you finally go and like, oh, this is where all the not white people live. Like, yeah, and and you suddenly stand out. I mean, I think that that's um, that that's the thing to remember. Like, you're not going to be equidistant on all act, all points of these axes. Um, we probably have kind of one last question. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, I've heard you talk an awful lot about. Uh, men and women, balancing men and women. Uh, have you considered the fact that there's an entire uh, segment of the population that is non-binary? Yeah. They don't really identify as male or female, or they identify as both, mm-hmm. uh, or both and neither kind of thing. Um, and uh, frequently, those kind of those people, uh, you know, they face this general problem every day of, you know, every time they fill out a form, are you a male or a yeah. female? Yeah. Uh, you create a character. Is your character male or is your character female? Um, and that that would be an area kind of to address. I'm sure. And actually, you pinpointed one where it's like, I don't think any of the three of us can be like, oh, we have... Yeah. There's a crystal that someone is a halfling crime lord in a city where I can't remember. Watch, watch for stat blocks. Yeah. See if there's gender specified. Mommy smash. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, there's been a little bit of novels and whatnot, but it's definitely yeah. not. We can do that. I mean, yeah. Also, I mean, like dirty, dirty secret. One of the reasons we like we're talking a lot about the you know like the LGBT stuff. And we're focused on that. Um, so naturally. We tend to do best in those areas because we were focusing on that. There are other areas where we are woefully under yeah. underrepresentational, and that that's the the you tell us portion of this. So, but so that like that is specifically an area that we are looking at more and more in the states. Yeah. But it's something. But yeah, it needs some work. I think we maybe got one more question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to go back to the question you asked a bit ago about how do you deal with the right things that you have experience, I think speaking more of you a lot of editorial responsibility. Yes. I think if you're supportive, if you have an author trying to write something that they haven't experienced, they get solutions to finding an author that's had that experience. Better mm-hmm. just diversify the characters, diversify the creative. And then, um, you know, you mentioned, for example, earlier about um, what about my character like South American? Sure. Um, well, you, you mentioned you work with artists around the world. Do you work with writers around the world? Absolutely. Sometimes, sometimes the best solution is to find someone who's lived the experience in your way. And that's what, in all honesty, it's like I, I hate to sound like I, I'm collecting, but uh, we, just, we just finally had a guy reach out for um, uh, reach out to us who's um, grew up in Mexico. Um, and it's like 
oh my god, finally a Hispanic writer. I'm so excited because it's like it's like he's got this whole like cultural background that like I know nothing about, and I just want to be like, tell me about your folk stories. It's like <laughs> I can read a book of it, and but how do I know that that's not like you know cherry picked and whatnot? It's like. Tell me what your actual experience growing up there was. What are the stories? What are the monsters? What are your characters? Because, like, you know, anything I'm getting, I'm getting from a secondhand source, having a primary source. And that's the thing we're watching. We watch more sometimes on the message boards, too, where it's like, oh, it turns out there's a good, there are a couple people who are, like, super in-depth experts on, like, a lot of Hindu mythology. Or, like, and there's another guy who's writing this, like, whole kind of campaign setting that is all kind of... Caribbean, Taino-based, like, you know, really specific, based on, like, his, you know, the legends he grew up in, like, going to Puerto Rico, and just, the like, people who are, like, really deep diving into this, and then sharing their knowledge is, like, such a huge, valuable yeah. resource for us. But I do think, like, we are, we are reaching out, we are trying to find a more diverse writer base, but one of the things about the business we're in, and this is not, you know, clearly not always a good thing, is, like, a lot of these, we publish a lot of books. Like, and we have a lot of like monthly lines. And to a certain extent, you go to the war, go to war with the army you have. And so, we're constantly finding new authors. But at the same time, like the core we have right now is fairly white and fairly male, and we're working to fix that. Um, and by all means, if you have experiences that you would consider. Distinctive, different from what you would consider, like you know, the the typical game designers. We want you. We want you working for us. We we want to tell those stories. We don't want to just tell the stories that have been being told for the last 30, 40 years. We don't want to have our bestiaries just be more like, oh, this is from Greek mythology because those are the only people with mythology, right? It's <laughs> like <laughs> so we really want wanted from every because that. That makes the game more interesting. It makes the stories better. It makes it just makes everything more interesting. And on that, we we gotta call it. Yeah. Thank you guys.